Hope you all are doing well. If you've been here for any kind of time period, that, that song sounds familiar, but when you're looking at it, you're like, hey, that video looks a little different. If you're new, you don't know that video is different, but it is different. But if you've been here for a while, like, that looked a little different, because it is a little different. Uh, and that's what, actually what we're going to be talking about today. Um, so uh, a few months back, Jack and I took a full day retreat. Jack is uh, another one of the elders here at Remedy, took a full day retreat just to kind of talk about what's going on at Remedy. What are some of the things that we think the Lord is leading us to, to uh, grow in, tweak, those kinds of things. Um, and these next three weeks of sermons are part of the outgrowing of that. There's certainly more than just these three sermons we're going to do. Um, but you can see that video where uh, the, the <clears throat> mission statement is a little bit different um, The new mission statement, I'll read it to you again just in case uh, you missed it, but what we're trying to accomplish with that mission statement is to fulfill the purpose of the church. And so at Remedy Church, we're wanting to fulfill three things. We exist to glorify God by fostering biblical community, joining Jesus on mission, and practicing intentional care. So those were the three things that you saw there, community, mission, and care. And so the next three weeks, those are the three things that we're going to talk about uh, today. We're going to be talking about community next week. We're actually going to flip those last two. We're going to talk about care. And then the last week, we're going to talk about mission. That's not theologically like, there's no theological reason. It's because Jack is going to preach on care. And he's uh, going to be in town this week and out of town the next week um, doing something different. So he's going to preach on care. And so we're switching it over. Uh, But um, the reason why we are are adding these three things is uh, because of uh, about... um, Two or three months ago, we surveyed five random people at Remedy that were in kind of all different seasons of life, uh, from, you know, younger to more seasoned, uh, from married to single to having been here at Remedy for a short time or having been here at Remedy a long time. And we asked them, what are some of the things when you think of Remedy Church that you think of? And so there were some similar things that they would say, um, gospel-centered, exegetical preaching. They had some similar things that they said, but there are also some differing things. And we noticed with the differing things and, and some of the different answers that this wasn't your fault. This was, this was our fault. This was my fault for not um, being as intentional as I can with language um, to be able to help you understand with a little bit better definition what are we trying to accomplish. And so what we're going to do over the next three weeks is continually build these three blocks, these three building blocks of language because eventually if you talk about language will build culture. So what we're trying to do is have a culture of community mission and care where that's just pervasively thought of as present. And so since it's pervasively thought of as present and talked about, then it actually is not just pervasively talked about, but it's actually here. So what we want is so when someone comes up to you and says, what's Remedy Church about? And you're like, ah, you know, gospel-centered, exegetical preaching. They, they do some community stuff. And then they ask the next person, gospel-centered, and uh, they like doing outreaches. And so like... There's, there's more continuity of, of what's going on. Every person, I, I mean, literally, we're going to beat it into you that if anybody ever comes up to you, you're gonna say, what's your church about? Community mission care. Like you're just you're gonna spit it out. You're like, where'd that come from? Oh, it's because it's been beat into me for the last two years. So um, this is, we're, we're gonna concentrate. Now, here's the history of those three words. Um, several years ago, whenever we were handing out job descriptions to just the community group leaders, um, I didn't want them to think that their job was to make sure their house was clean, to lead a Bible study, and maybe serve some coffee. Like, I didn't want them to think that as a community group leader, what I need to do is lead a Bible study, have some food and coffee available, and have my house clean so people can come over. So I wrote community mission and care. Your job as a community group leader is to grab a group of 12 people and make them be together as much as possible in community. We want you to take those group of 12 people and do some kind of missional out outreach, mission, and if there's something happening in, the, in, the, in your community group where somebody's sick or somebody needs help or somebody needs their lawn cut, that you, everybody is going to care for them by coming and do that. And so notice I didn't say you're a Bible study leader. So you might lead Bible studies. You might be the guy that coordinates the weekly meeting. But what, what your job description is, is community mission care. That's what you're in charge of is making sure those three things happen. Well, you know, as I said, Jack and I were getting together and Jack was like, you know what, I really like those three things. I think those three things you've been um, pushing in community groups for community group leader job description, but actually that fits the whole church. So when people ask, what are we about? It's not just exegetical preaching and like, while we are about exegetical preaching, while we all are about gospel centrality, those, all those things that we say are going to be accomplished through community mission and care. So we're going to talk about those three things 
the next week. Um, and we will, after this, this little sermon series is over, go to the book of Acts and preach through the book of Acts, which will take, we all know, a good long time. It'll take a good long time. We, we preached the book of Matthew, took 90 sermons, and they both have 28 chapters, Matthew and Acts. So we're looking at likely, you know, somewhere around there. Um, so the goal of this, like I said, if anybody comes up to you and says, what's Remedy Church about? Whether you're a new member or whether you've been here, uh, a member or been here a long time just as a, an attender, or even you're brand new, we want you to be able to say community mission care, commission care, commission care. And then we're going to, over the next three weeks, dive into each one of those kind of concepts, explain what we mean when we say community, explain what we say when we mean mission, explain what we mean when we say care, so that whenever they say, oh, community mission care, what does that mean? You can give some, some better answers. Now, you certainly don't need to, like, preach a 50-minute sermon on community while you're doing that, and then preach another 50-minute sermon on care. Like, so you need to sit down. You know, I've got three hours, and I'm going to tell you what commission care means. I don't want you to do that, unless they want you to, which would be extraordinary. They certainly need to come to Remedy if they're ready for you to do that. Um, but anyway, I digress. So here's the, here's the way that the three sermons are going to be structured. As Jack and I were talking about the way we want to preach these sermons, because as you know, we want to do expository preaching always. Each of these three sermons that we're doing are going to be structured like this, like for today. Community. We're going to look at a text, exegete the text, and define the concept that we're talking about. Today is biblical community. And then the second half of the sermon is, or second portion of the sermon is, what does that mean specifically for remedy then? What does that mean? How does that look for remedy? And then we'll do that each week. Now, I'm going to break that rule because as I'm doing my, my uh, exegetical work, I'm going to halfway bring in what it means for remedy and then do the other half uh, the, the second, the, the end of the sermon. So I did break the rule, um, but Jack said he's a, he, between service services. He said that was okay, um, that he liked how I did it. So, woohoo! All right. Anyway, um, we are going to be in First Thessalonians chapter two. If you have a Bible, so you can grab that. If you don't have one, look underneath you. Grab that white and blue one or white and black one and keep it. It's absolutely yours. You can have it forever. You can take two if you want and keep it and give the other one away. Um, and we are going to be in First Thessalonians chapter two. Um, I'm going to pray. I can't remember if I prayed already because this is the second service. Um, but I'm going to pray again because I don't feel like I did. Um, and my mind's slipping. So I'm going to pray and then we will, if I've already prayed, just, have we prayed yet? No. Well, then I'm, see, I, I'm, I'm thinking, I'm thinking about first service. Like I already know I prayed, but no, I didn't. So that happens all the time. So let me pray. Um, and then we're going to be in First Thessalonians chapter two. First Thessalonians chapter two. Let's pray. Lord, um, I pray that you would come now and help me. My mind is little cloudy and I pray that you would come now and and move me out of the way and help me um, be filled with the spirit so that I can preach clearly your word that's what I want I know that there's no way that I can do this by myself there's no possible way (coughs) that any of us can do anything that your word says without the help and assistance and guidance and um, prodding and pushing of your spirit and so we pray that he would come now and superintend these moments teach us all that he would Love us well by leading us into proper biblical conviction, which always is coupled with comfort. And Lord, that from this, that we would want and desire to live our lives for King Jesus. We love him. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so uh, what we're looking at today is traits of biblical community. So uh, we want to foster biblical community. So what do we mean by biblical community. I mean, obviously you'd say, well, it's defined by the Bible. Yes, um, but so this is what we mean. My, my goal here is not just to convince you that uh, you should be in a community, but help you see that it's biblical and necessary. It's not just something that's a good idea, but instead that it's, it's actually biblical, that the Lord has written it in the, in the text that we should do it, and it's completely necessary. Uh, Matt Chandler, if you listen to him at all, if you podcast him, he always says something along these lines. Um, while our, our faith in Christ is a personal relationship, it's a personal thing that we have, our, our, our growth and sanctification, or our gr- growth in Christ-likeness is never supposed to be private. So while we do have a personal relationship, it's never meant to just be private. So after we come to Christ and we have a personal relationship, that's always supposed to be fostered and grown in the company of trusted other people in your church. So our, our growing in Christ is, is something that, that we don't have to work on on our own, but instead that we freely share in the context of a church and we as a group 
help each other, pray for each other, love each other, um, sometimes tell each other hard things because we love each other and grow together in our sanctification. So sanctification is a, is a community project, if you will, and this is all biblical. Um, so when I say biblical community, this is what I mean. Um, a biblical community is something that the foundation in is it's centered on the gospel of Jesus Christ. So when we say the gospel, we mean the death, burial, and resurrection for us on our behalf so that we don't have to um, be killed. We don't have to receive the due, the right due punishment for our sin, but all of it was placed on Jesus and all of his perfection and righteousness was then given to us. And so that truth that that has been done for us by Jesus is the absolute center of what we mean by biblical community. So without that, um, we have nothing. Because of that is why you're getting together. Likely, if you didn't go to this church and you weren't a Christian, I mean, this is just the truth. We likely wouldn't hang out with each other. We probably wouldn't even know each other. But because of that, being our foundation, we become friends and we hang out with each other and we grow with each other. It's amazing that the gospel has created for us um, a group of people where we come together and sit around this amazingly core thing that we, we have a community that forms. So that's what I mean by biblical community, something that is centered around the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when we get together in this community, it's not just, hey, let's, let's do a quick Bible study, we'll talk, and then we'll play some games. We don't mean that. While you might do that, it also means, because it's centered on the gospel of Jesus Christ, it means that the gospel is something that will be um, completely present when we talk, we're going to talk about the gospel. We're going to talk about how it relates to us. We're going to talk about its inner workings in our life. We're going to love each other to, um, I know this isn't necessarily always used as a verb, but gospel one another. In other words, remind each other about the gospel's effects on you so that when you're feeling down and out, when you're feeling like a big, huge failure, I'm just a big failure for Jesus. I don't get anything right. We gospel one another by reminding who we are in Christ. This is who you are. You're forgiven. You're a saint. You're going to heaven forever. Jesus has paid the price. The forgiveness that you got at at justification is continually being put ahead of you so that you're always forgiven because of Jesus. And so we want to continually grow in that. So we hold each other accountable. We, We strive to have fellowship with each other. And all that never stays here. But instead, a biblical gospel centered community always finds itself going. It always finds itself going and finding other people that don't know Jesus, that need to hear the gospel and come into a relationship with Jesus. So that's what we mean by biblical community. And we've chosen community groups um, as one of, the, one of the main ways that this plays out at Remedy Church. You know, there's lots of names, home group, cell group, fellowship group, anchor group, all these different group, group, group things. We choose community group because we're trying to um, intentionally foster biblical community here. So I say this a lot, um, but... Community is absolutely important. It's biblical and necessary. And so at Remedy Church, we want you to be a part of the community. So there's two ways you can be a part of the community at Remedy Church. You can be a part of the community here on Sunday, um, which you'll grow. I mean, you will be a believer in Jesus. You will grow, hopefully, because we all try to submit ourselves under the word. And if you're here on Sundays, you're part of the large group, community group um, here at church. But there's also a secondary way that we think you can grow. That's in community groups. That's our weekly meetings at people's homes where a community group leader leads that and tries to do all these things, practice community mission and care. Um, so while we think you will grow as a disciple at Remedy by coming here and being part of the, the Sunday morning community, we also think that you're going to grow best by not just being a part of the Sunday morning community, but also in a smaller group that meet in local homes throughout the week. And from that, hopefully, just do life together any time of the week. So we think that that's the best way that you can grow here at Remedy. So we want you to be a part of all those things. Now, community, when we say biblical community, even on Sunday mornings, biblical, you haven't done community if you've just kind of been a part of a, a quick passing conversation, you know, at Sunday morning. Hey, how you doing? I'm doing what? What you doing? Yeah, I worked this week. Okay, all right, man, I'll see you later. Like, you didn't do community that morning, right? That's not community when you just do a quick catch-up, pass-by kind of thing. Um, and even just going to community groups on Sunday morning and just discussing a sermon doesn't necessarily mean that you've been in community that week. Community is really loving each other, really doing life together, really getting to know each other, 
both of those things can be done on Sunday morning. Um, like whenever I, <clears throat> before the church, before the service started, or even as it started, where, you know, most of the, you know, most of the people missed the first song and Jordan's not bitter, uh, where we stand outside for a while. Community is being formed, which is great. Community is being formed because we want you to do that. We want you to get here early. We want you to talk to each other. We want you as soon as the church is over, not to boom, hop out and hop in your car and grab lunch, but to hang out with each other. And so we, we encourage you to do that. We love that you do that. But that's how community can start forming is long um, sessions of getting to know each other. Uh, it's a lot of work. There's a lot of persistence. It's absolutely, I think, essential to your sanctification to grow together, to know each other. And it's, it's, it's only going to happen if you're willing to put in the work. So we want you to be a part of growing the community. So when people come to you and they say, what's your mini church about? Community mission care. What does that mean? Well, we want to foster biblical community. What does that mean? We want for our community here at Remedy to be biblical by being centered in on the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if you want to, you can say, there's, in this text, you're going to see six traits of biblical community. Six traits of biblical community. Now, um, here's the way I want you to think. When you see these six things, I want you to think about it this way. Uh, in first service, Jack came to me between services and pointed this out, which I'm really grateful. So in first service, when I talked about these six biblical communities, I only gave examples of how you can practice those six things in community groups. And it could have been for first service, you're the beneficiaries. You're always, if you're second service, you always get the better sermon. You're the beneficiaries of getting it right. So it could have been that as they walked out, they thought, well, the only way I can do community at Remedy is just community groups. And that's, that's a primary way we do it. So as you see these things, it's not just that. It's also on Sunday mornings. So as you see these six things, I want you to think about how you can practice these six things, not just in the context of your community group, but also church-wide. Also church-wide. So on Sunday mornings or first Wednesdays where we get together for corporate prayer, I want you to think about how corporately you can practice these six traits. So six traits of biblical community, um, not just in community group. And the reason why, and Jack had a great reason, this is why, because we're looking at the the, the letter here of of, of Thessalonians, and Paul is writing these six traits of community to a church, not to a community group. So these six traits should be present in the church. So... Think about how these things are present and how you're practicing them church-wide because that's the context, but even so, how you're practicing them in your community groups. So um, I want you to look with me at chapter 1, verse 5 before we get into chapter 2 because I think chapter 1, verse 5 leads us into the big ideas of chapter 2 where we see the six traits of community. So in chapter 1, verse 5, you need to know this about Paul. So Paul's type A, radically type A. Um, and just, what's the job? I'm going to get it done. That's, all right, got it. I'm going to do, do it. Don't get it in my way. I'm getting it done. So before Jesus, uh, he, was, he was a hater of Christians. Type A, okay, Christians are wrong. I'm, I don't, can't stand them. All right, perfect. Going to go kill them all. That's my job, kill them all. Well, in Acts 9, which we'll get to, you know, probably in about a year. Um, that's a joke. So in Acts 9, he gets saved, and same personality, instead of killing them, now everybody needs to become a Christian. Perfect, got the job. All right, Jesus, going to... Everybody, don't get in my way. Going to go make disciples. Not in a rude way, but in a very like, get it done, get it done kind of thing. So Paul, he was a frontier missionary. So you've, that means always wanting to go to the hardest place, the unreached place, set up a church. And once that church goes there, he's not so much the guy that stays there for the rest of his life. He sets up pastors. He sets up elders. He sets up the church. He'll come back here and visit them. But after he's done that, all right, perfect. You got it, Timothy. You got it, Epaphras. You got it, whoever. And he goes over to the next city, Frontier. No one's been here each year. Tell all these people, get converted. Oh, you make this, you do this. All right, set it up, church. All right, set up the elders. Perfect, church is there. I'll be back. And then he goes to the next. That's how he did stuff. Setting up, setting up, setting up. And so here you can see, as you read verse five, just note, that's how Paul starts churches. He goes to the hard place, sets it up, gets the elders and pastors in place, makes a church there, and then says, I'll be back. And this, in verse five, is him writing to them after he left, saying, you remember when I came and did that? He's not there anymore, but he's going to say some things I want you to see. So verse, uh, we'll start at verse four in chapter one. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power. So remember, I came there, I preached the gospel to you, the Holy Spirit came in power, boom, you all got saved, I've set up a church, there's pastors there, things are happening. And notice what he says, because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power, and in the Holy Spirit with full conviction. And here it is, that last little sentence there, verse five, I want you to notice. You know 
what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you. So this proving to be among you, how else can they know what kind of men they proved to be among you unless they were actually with them? practicing community. There's no way that they can know what kind of men they prove to be if they just hung out once an hour. It's like, it's going to take five years to get to know what kind of men you're going to prove to be if you're going to see each other once a week for an hour. But he's saying, I didn't just come hang out with you on Sunday mornings from 11 to 12, and then that's it. But instead, I was with you. I was with you so much. We were doing life together so much that you had an opportunity to know what kind of man I prove to be that this Christ that I claim actually has a hold of my life. That was done in community. And so in chapter two, based on how Paul went to Thessalonica and created biblical community among the people, he gives us traits of what community can look like in chapter two. So verse one, for you yourselves know brothers that our coming to you was not in vain, but though we had already suffered and had been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of such conflict. So here, Paul had gone to Philippi. You can see this in Acts chapter, six, Acts chapter 16 where he's uh, mistreated. And it would have been really easy as, after he had gone there and he was jailed and everything was bad for him just to say, you know what? You know, this isn't worth it. I'm tapping out. I'm done. I don't want to do ministry anymore because there's hardships at every turn. At every turn. But instead of, instead of doing that, even though he faced hardships at Philippi, he left Philippi and was still willing to go to the next city. If you read Acts chapter 16, I mean, he was mistreated pretty bad, beaten with rods and then thrown into jail. It was, it was really bad. But he didn't say, forget it, I'm, I'm not doing this anymore. Willing to go to the next city. Knowing that might happen again. There might be hardships again. And so Paul, as he's writing here, for us, gives us um, a trait of biblical community that's important. The first trait is this. You'll keep going the distance. You'll boldly keep going the distance, no matter the hardships. For him, hardships in one city, I'm still going to the next. For us, church-wide, church-wide, our community will have hardships. We've, we've had some in, in, in the past history. Nothing like earth-shattering, like, oh, that's scandalous. Nothing scandalous. We've had hardships. People in our church have had difficult things happen in them in life, and we've gathered around. So church-wide, as these things happen, we don't say, too hard, I'm done, good luck with that, somebody hopefully will help you. But instead, we are willing to boldly go the distance. Now notice the boldness. The boldness is not like, I'm so bold in myself, look how great I am. Look at it, it says in verse 2, but we have boldness in our God. So the boldness is in Jesus. I mean, it's in who he is, what he said he's done, and because of that, I, my deep trust in him, it spills out into the life of others. That my boldness is in him, and now I'm able to keep doing it. So even in, in community groups, so that means church-wide, when we're having difficult times, whenever we're going through major transitions of change, even like we're doing right now, this building's going to be torn down. It's not like, well, good luck with that. I'll see you when you got your building maybe in a year, and I'll be back later. Hopefully it works out. Or um, for community group, if you're in one, and all of a sudden there's a lot of people having a lot of hard times, you're like, wow, these people will require a lot of time. And I have a lot of time that I need to invest in Netflix. So... Um, good luck, and I'll be back when things are good, and we can talk about, you know, 24 or whatever. Like, that's not what I'm talking about. Instead, I'm saying, you're going to continually bold, boldly go the distance, no matter the hardships. Whenever there's a hardship, this is, this is where I say, I'm pressing in. I'm going to press in here, because the gospel, since we're sitting around the gospel, requires me to press in and be here for you, and be the loving sister or the loving brother in Christ that, that I'm supposed to be. This is what was done by Paul. And remember, remember, your boldness is not in your abilities. It's boldness in God. And so one biblical trait of community is that no matter the hardships, we're not clocking out and checking out and leaving. But instead, we're staying. We're going to be here through any kind of transitions and change, whether that's in community group or large scale. All right, the next thing is this. This one's great. I, I, I love this one. It's about the gospel. All right, verse 3. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. So the reason why we do this is not because it's wrong, wrong motive, wrong spirit, disingenuous, unfaithful, incorrect theology. But it's because of the gospel. And here it is. But just as have we have been 
approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. So we speak not to please man, but to please God. So this approved here is, this verb is in the perfect tense. What that means is that it indicates that it began in the past and it's true then and then it's always presently and continually true. Wherever you are in the present, right here, it's true. Back in the present, it's still here, it's still true. So it started back there, it's like justification. You're, you're forgiven, that's presently right here true. And it happened in the past and now no matter what, you're always justified and it's always presently true. That's the gospel. And so what he's saying is, is that you have been approved that you, the gospel has said now you are approved by God. God has declared you righteous. God has declared you holy. God has forgiven you. And then this is the amazing thing. So not only have you been forgiven of your sin, approved by God as it used here, but he also says that gospel that did that has also now been given to you as a believer in Jesus. It's been, the words are, entrusted. You've been entrusted with this. In other words, now that you have been approved, you are entrusted with this message. The gospel carries you because you're approved, but you also carry the gospel because you're entrusted to go share it with others. And so the entrusting, the ability to be entrusted and go share the gospel springs forth or finds its ability to do it because of the approval. So since you are forgiven of your sin, you can boldly go and your boldness is in God and share the gospel with other people because you've been forgiven. So here's, and also I want you to see one little sentence in verse eight um, where it says, so being affectionately desires of you, we're ready, here it is, ready to share uh, not only the gospel of God, but, but ourselves. But so obviously they share the gospel. So in verse eight, you see in verse eight, because that we loved you, because we're affectionately desires, we were ready to share the gospel. So take all those concepts in verses three and four and two, where he says he came and he preached the gospel to them, even in hardships, and eight. And here's the second trait that you should see in biblical community, is you understand the reason. I know this is long, it's, you know, I'm wordy, I'm sorry. But you understand the reason, that's the gospel, because you've been approved, and the weight of being entrusted with the gospel, and it means that you're gonna go share the gospel. So a trait of biblical community is the gospel's transformed me. That sentence doesn't sound right. This, just make it sound right when you guys write it down. Um, because the gospel has been trusted in me and I've been forgiven, I'm going to go. So a trait of biblical community is we've been approved by God. We're going to go share this message. It's a, it's a trait that says we're obedient to Matthew 28, the Great Commission. A trait of biblical community, that means we as a church, church-wide, we need to be obedient to the, to the Great Commission. We want to preach the gospel. Here on Sunday mornings, you will find Jack and I, as we preach, preaching the gospel to you. Those who are Christians and those who are not Christians need to hear it just the same. And you, church-wide, as you go out and do mission together, you want to preach the gospel. You want to tell people, because you've been approved, about people, about Jesus, how they can be approved. And in community groups, and the, that specific group of 12, every one of you has an outreach to the campus and you want to be on mission together, and a gospel trait is, a, 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 a trait of community is that you're, you're on mission together. So you're doing life together, but you're not just staying in your holy huddle. Our holy huddle is, is an open hand, and we are always going out to tell people about Jesus as well. So second trait is that we are a biblical community that shares the gospel a lot, just a whole lot. And if you remember a few weeks back, um, our personal church goal is that everybody here will share the gospel once per week with an unbeliever, a new person. So if you shared with you know, Frank this week, you don't do Frank next week. You, you can still do Frank next week, but you still do a new person. And if we do that, in one decade, we'll share the gospel with everybody in Rock Hill. Everybody, all 75,000, just Remedy, can share the gospel with all 75,000 people in Rock Hill if all of us share the gospel with a new person each week in one decade, in 10, 10 years, which hopefully we're all still gonna be alive you know, unless Jesus comes in 10 years. No one here is like, you know, foot in the grave. So we can do this. We can do this. Um, and remember, the very existence of community is because of the gospel. So of course we have to be the kind of people that are gonna share. 
All right. The next one is this. This one, this one's great. I say that every time, I'm sorry. Verse five. Um, For we never came with words of flattery, as you know. So we didn't, we didn't come just like, oh, you're the best and the greatest. Oh, we want to tell you all these great things about you so you would think we're awesome too and just do what we want because you like compliments, you know. We didn't come with these words of flattery, as you know. No other pretext for greed. We weren't trying to gain oh, let's go to that group because, you know, they've got lots of stuff that if we help them, they might help us out. We didn't come with that. Instead, God is witness. So we came, open hands, not trying to get anything from you, but we came with one purpose, to give, to serve, to preach the gospel, to see you be converted and serve you in love and care for you. That's what he's saying. So here's the, the third um, trait is this. How that relates to community is this. Your approach to community, biblical community is this. Your dominant mindset is to give to your community, not to get. Your dominant mindset is to give to your community, not to get. Our primary motive is not, as he says, words of flattery so that we can have a pretext for greed. I just need stuff, so I'm gonna be greedy and try to approach this group. Look at this, this guy makes great coffee. I'm going to his house or I really like this person's house because they have a pool. So they're, they're, that's my community group leader. Uh, like that's not how we approach, what can I get from this community group? That's not how we approach it. Or the church, we, we want to go to that group because, or that church because it has this. Uh, our dominant mindset is what can I give? We come to Sunday mornings not primarily to get, but to give. We do receive. And so let me, let me back that up by saying this. This doesn't mean you won't get receive on Sunday mornings. It doesn't doesn't mean you won't receive if you go to community groups. Hopefully you will. Hopefully you receive a whole lot. We want to gospel you and love for you and care for you. And if there's hard hard times, we want to be there for you and cut your grass and serve you food and make you great coffee and, and, you know, help you get on mission if you're having trouble. We want to give you things so that you receive. And it doesn't mean either that when people start getting, you like shun, you're like, no, don't give me things. I only need to give. I'm being unchristlike if I receive something. Stop giving me stuff. God's gonna be mad. We're not saying that. So we don't want you to, to shun receiving. It's a good thing for the, for the community to come around you and help you and give. And, but what I mean is my dominant mindset when I'm here is to give. So what does that mean? Like church-wide, it means when I'm here on Sunday mornings, I'm looking for people that I can talk to, new people. I'm looking for people that I can give encouragement to. I'm here early enough so that I can look for people that I can talk to. I'm actually present every time so that I can look for people that I can talk to. And I'm here to give. And listen, don't hear that as financial. I'm talking about you. You are here to give. You Jesus said it's better to give than to receive. And this, this, is, this is what I'm saying. You're here to exercise your gifts. And every single one of you that are in Christ have something to give. Every single one of you. If you think you don't, we don't have to really talk about it. You do. First Corinthians 12, Romans 12, argument over. You have something. Everybody has a spiritual gift or even multiple. So use those gifts. So here's the question then. Church-wide, and in your community group, church-wide and in your community group, what can you, specifically you, give to the church community? What can you specifically give to your community group? The dominant mindset of a biblical community is that you're there to give. What can you give? What can you give? Now, this is where I'm going to break my rule instead of doing it at the end of the sermon go over and talk about these, this, what does community mean after Jack and I talked, some things we want to shift. What does it mean now at Remedy Church? This is what it means. And so I'm going to help as I do this, hopefully give you some ideas of what you can do to give to the community, the church community and in your context of your community group. This is what you can do to give. Um, And I'm going to approach this and Jack next week and then me the third week, are going to approach this time, what does this mean specifically at Remedy, in kind of two ways. We're going to approach it as, what does this mean for Remedy now as leaders? And what does this mean for Remedy now as our weekly schedule? What's going to change in the weekly schedule? What's going to change in the leadership? All right, so here's, let me start with um, 
what does this mean for Remedy Church that we want to practice biblical community? These are some of the things that are going to change. For elders, for those that are the pastors, Jack and I, and you know, Lord willing, more later. What does this mean? It means this, that we are going to intentionally do our best to develop community, not just on the smaller scale of community groups, but also church-wide. One of the things that Jack pointed out, which he was right, as we were meeting, he goes, Fudd, I think we do small-scale community really well in community groups, but large-scale community, I don't know that we do that well. There's not too many times throughout the year that we're all together as a church. And I'm like, you're right, I, I have corporate prayer, but you're right, we need to do that better. Um, and so one of the ways we're going to change is that we're going to have more community-wide events, church-wide community events. Um, Jess Camille has agreed to lead that up. She's going to be infinitely better at, me, at it than I would be. So what that means for you then is when we announce those things and we put money into those things and we put time into those things and a whole lot of plan into those things, that we want you to be there. We want you to these three or four times a year to these large-scale communities. We want you to be there and we want you to hang out with the people you know, but also find like three or four people you don't know. So here's what happened. Um, it was a revelation. Um, not like the end of the Bible revelation, but like, like it was revealed to me. As the pastor, I just think everybody knows each other. I know all of you. I know all of you. How you I know, you, you know where you're from. Where, I, I, and so y'all all know each other because I talk to all of you when I see you at both services. So everybody knows everybody. And Jack's like, no, everybody doesn't know everybody. Like they, they rarely, like they may know like 10 people. And I'm like, how's that? Like I, I know all of them. Surely they know everybody as well. And what he helped me see is that's not true. So while I know all of you, I just assume you all know each other. You don't, which is, you know, my fault. So that's why we're putting these together. So of course we're going to keep having community groups where we're fostering community. But we're also going to, something that's going to change is we're going to have more church-wide events where we're going to, we're going to practice community. We're also going to have church-wide events where we do mission, but also getting together. And what we want you to do is be there and, and meet people as well as be there at our, our Wednesday nights. But that's the calendar. We're getting to that. The next thing that we're going to do to foster community as elders is, which I've already said, we're going to preach through the book of Acts. One of the ways I think that the elders can serve you is looking at the, the book of Acts, where right after the Gospels, after Jesus ascended, this is how the early church started, and this is how they practiced. They learned community, mission, and care. This is how they learned to, to do mission together. This is how they learned to make disciples. This is how they learned all these things. And so we're going to look, we're going to see other things, of course, as we look at the book of Acts, just the rather than just those three things. But as we preach through the book of Acts, we want to point out those things so that you can grow in those particular things. That's, that's what's going to change with elders. What's going to change with community leaders? Um, nothing. As we were looking at it, there's no major overhaul on community group leadership. We want community group leaders to keep doing exactly what you're doing. We think that you're doing a great job um, and to keep on doing that. We, as the elders, are going to um, spend more time with the community group leaders, investing in them with one-on-one, uh, giving them some more ideas on how to lead well and just find out how their life is going and how their marriages are going, etc. Um, but community group leaders are not going to have any kind of major overhaul or, or change. So that's the leadership. What, what does it mean for Sunday mornings? This is what growing in biblical community means on Sunday mornings. And this is how it affects all of you. It means this. Now, I know you're going to say, oh, this again. You say this so much, Fudd. Come on. And I know, I do. I do. I say it a lot, and I'll agree. But I'm not going to stop saying anything about it. I'm going to continually say something about it. And the reason why I'm going to continually say it is I'm not trying to shame you. I'm not trying to make you feel bad. But instead, as, as a pastor, the Lord wants me to continually point out to you what's good, what's biblical and what's good, and prod you towards those things and trust that you'll say, oh, that is good, I need to do it, and that you'll start doing it. So here's the first thing. Um, this is not just at Remedy. This is nationwide. This is 21st century North American church living. So don't feel like, I'm sh- like y'all are awful and nobody else is. This is, you're not awful, but this is what's happening, right? This is what's happening in, in churches in North America is still, still to this day, uh, most members, members, attend church twice a month. Now, this wasn't the way it was back in the day. You know, everybody got taken, you know, four times a week. That's how it was for me. I grew, I went to church all the time, all the time, every week, three and four times. We were always there, always there, always there. And I think that as my generation grew up, like, man, that was so much. We've kind of rebelled. Maybe the, the pendulum swung too far and hopefully the next generation swings it back to the, to the proper middle. I'm um, not saying that that was bad, but it was just a lot growing up. So, um, 
we, and I always use the word accidental on purpose, we've become accidental part-time church attenders where we find ourselves at church twice a month and we think, yeah, that's my church. I'm there, you know. And if you think about it, you're there 28 out of 52 weeks in a year. And what I want to say is practicing biblical community means you're here every Sunday. Now, my job is not to shame you, but to point out what's good. There's something special about the gathering together of the corporate church, singing together, hearing the word together, sitting under the communion table together. Each week, every week, it's biblical. It's not just me saying, I really want you here. It's biblical that we're here every particular week um, and that we are meeting together because something special happens as we gather together every week. Now, I know there's exceptions. You know, you have kids and for us, we have so many, like, whenever a sickness comes in, like, eight weeks later, somebody can finally emerge back to church, and it's always got to be Christy that stays home. It's not like one week where I'm going to stay home with the kids, and she's going to fill in for me at the, at the pulpit. She'll never do that. Um, not only theologically, she's just scared to death of people. Um, so, like, that will never happen. But for some of you, you know, moms and dads, you can alternate it. If someone's sick, you can, you know, I'm going to go this week, and you can stay home with the kids next week if you have, like us, and you're going to be there for four weeks. But what we want you to do is foster, continually foster this This deep down desire to say, I am not going to fall into the 21st century North American standard of twice a month, accidental part-time church attendance. And another way you can do this is when you're here, you're here, you might as well talk to people. You know, you might as well hang out as soon as church is over and it's like, like, bang, we're at Zaxby's. I know I ain't Chick-fil-A because they're closed on Sundays. I'm still bitter. I always want it on Sunday. Anyway, um... But, like, you're going to stay here and you're going to talk to people, hopefully out in the parking lot so that Jordan can actually lead worship. But um, we're coming up on a huge season of change and remedy. Like, we know that we're eventually going to leave this building. We know we're going to move somewhere, preferably the Lord willing, it'd be that building. We know that there's going to be some big changes happening, um, not foundationally. It's not like we're going to start doing something else besides preaching the gospel. Like, <laughs> that's staying the same. But just the way things are going to look here and there are going to change here and there. But the, one of the main anchors that we're going to have is Sunday mornings. Whether it's here or, or somewhere else, we're always going to have Sunday mornings where we can get together. And I just want to say, take advantage of that opportunity where you can be together throughout this season of change. You can have that one anchor where you're together and you can commit to saying, I'm going to do that. I'm going to be here every Sunday and I'm going to encourage uh, people that I meet. I'm going to not miss what's going on. I'm going to I'm going to do everything I can to be here every single Sunday, barring a wedding of the family or a sickness in the family or something like that. I want to be here. It's not just like, oh, today's a nice lake day. We can take off today, go to Bed Spring Baptist and then hit the lake. Like we want, that means sleep in. Like we want to, uh, we want to be there every single Sunday um, because that's what's biblical. And again, I'm not trying to make you feel bad and shame you. Instead, I'm just saying, as a pastor, it's my job to point out to you what the Lord says is good and say, I'm praying for you and I want you to do this. All right. This is also what it means about community. For your community group, it means you approach your community groups and church-wide saying, what can I give? Uh, Not what can I get, what can I give? You can give your attendance. You can give good food. You can bring the gospel. That's what I can give. I can... You know what I can give? I can give the rest of my schedule this week is not cluttered so that if you have a problem, I can't meet with you until three weeks later. But what I'm bringing and I'm giving you is a clutter-free schedule life so that when you have a problem, I can meet with you tomorrow about that. Not mm, four or five weeks from now, I'm good. But it's got to be Tuesday at 7 a.m. or anything will happen. Like, we can bring a clutter-free life to people When I say clutter, I don't mean like problems. We all have problems. I mean, don't just keep scheduling up stuff, but instead, be able to meet people for coffee, be able to meet people for dinner, be able to meet with people that have problems, go to their ball games, go to their, you know, whatever they do. Um, Give them your life, not just community groups, but the rest of that week and church-wide. Also, last thing is Wednesday. Uh, Wednesday, the first month of each uh, first Wednesday of each month, we get together for corporate prayer. We, we worship together and we eat. And there's just something uniquely biblical about sharing a meal together. So we want you to take advantage of that community um, aspect that's biblical. 
In, in Revelation, you, you know, there's the, the marriage supper of the Lamb. It's not like Jesus is going to throw a big party. We're all going to get together. We're going to have a big, huge, like, board game. That's not what it is, right? Instead, we're not going to play games. It's not like the, the big, huge game day of Jesus in Revelation. It's the marriage supper of the Lamb where all of us are going to get together and we're going to eat together and drink wine together with King Jesus. And so leading up to that, we have pictures of the greatest supper where we we get together and there's just something uniquely biblical where we share a meal together. We sit, we don't eat in our car, you know, for three seconds, right? But instead we sit down at the table and we eat steak and we drink wine and we, we or we don't do that at, at this particular um, Wednesday night. But you know what I mean? Like we, we get together and we sit across from someone that maybe we don't know and we have an extended conversation about who they are and what's going on in their life and we get to know them. And then we worship together and we pray together. I just want to invite you to be a part of that community. It's so amazing to be a part of that community, and we want you to be a part of that. Last thing, and this is just a, uh, maybe it's a shameless plug. So when we get to the summer, all of our college students leave us high and dry and abandon us, and they don't help us out during the summer because they, they, they want to go do something else. I'm just kidding. They go off and, you know, they go do mission. They go home, those kinds of things. So um, for kids and set up and break down here at Remedy, these summer schedules, volunteer schedules, get a little sparse. So another way you can foster community is you can join one of those groups for the first time or add a second week. And by doing that, working alongside people, setting up you know, baby cribs and setting out cards and pens and Bibles gives you a, another chance as you're doing that. Say, hey, what's your name? Where are you from? Oh, good to meet you. My name's you know, Frank and my name's whatever. You know, like, that's another chance for you to get alongside people Serve together, and then you, as you serve together, you get to know. That's another way to build community. So, th- I mean, that's a simple way to build community is sign up for the summer schedule because our setup breakdown in kids' areas always have a little bit more need during the summers. So that's, that's, what, that's what's going to be different here at Remedy. All right, back to the, to the sermon part. I'm going back right into verse 8 and I want you, or 6, and I want you to see three other things um, about biblical community. Verse 6. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. So that first sentence there is, they didn't, they didn't try to seek glory from themselves. They could have, but they didn't. Instead, they submitted themselves to Jesus. They did not seek glory from other people. So here it is. Um, since they didn't seek glory for themselves, clearly they wanted the glory of God to be put on full display. So the fourth aspect of biblical community is this. Your ultimate aim for everyone in your community is the glory of God. So let's be clear. The glory of God is not just the ultimate aim of community groups. The glory of God is the ultimate aim of everything in the world, everything in life. In community, there are secondary benefits like um, we get to eat together. We get to remind each other of the gospel. We get to do mission together. But the ultimate aim, the ultimate thing that we're all striving for is for Jesus to be glorified. And as he's glorified, we can share meals together, do mission together, remind each other of forgiveness of sin, help each other fight through sin, help each other through cancer, help each other do yard work, help each other with crazy kids. I mean, all these kinds of things are, are benefits, but the ultimate aim in all things, this should have been number one, I should have started this as number one, but, but Paul went in this order, so I'm staying with Paul. Um, here is we're aiming for the glory of God in our, in our, in our community. Church-wide, when we're here on Sunday mornings and we're worshiping, we're aiming for the glory of God. So we're not primarily aiming for the music to just be awesome. We want the music to be awesome. We want the preaching to, to be beneficial and helpful. But ultimately, we want the glory of God to be put on display and to, we want Jesus to receive glory. So the ultimate aim for community here on Sunday mornings and in our groups is the glory of God. We need to remember that in the day-to-day grind when things are getting tough. Why am I doing this? You go all the way back to this trait right here and you say, primarily and ultimately why I'm doing this is because I want Jesus to be glorified. Next, in verse 8 and 9, um, so be affectionately, so being affectionately, let's look at verse 7 because it bleeds into verse 8. But we were gentle among you like nursing mothers, taking care of their own children, verse 8. So being affectionately desirous of you, this is Paul saying, when I came there, I was, being, I was so affectionately desirous of you that I was ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves. Here it is, because you had become very dear to us. You become very dear to us. 
So there's one little thing I want to look in there. And there's actually a second thing, which is the fifth and sixth traits. But the first one, the fifth trait is this. Um, If you see at the very beginning of the verse, it says affectionately desirous. And at the end, it ends with dear to us. So this affectionately desirous, this is a deep, selfless love that you have for some people. And the end result is that they become very, very dear to you. So the fifth trait of biblical community, church-wide and all of our groups, is this. You have a selfless love for each other. A selfless love. What you're striving for is that the people in your group, you have a a familial love for them. The same way that you would have a love for people in your family, you love them. And here's, here's the thing. If you get in there and you don't love them, you're going back up to the first one. No matter hardships, I'm sticking. I'm not leaving. I'm not leaving here. You're going to stay there. This sounds crazy. You're going to stay there until you love them. That happens. God, I don't love these people. <laughs> They're in my community. I want to love them. This is, what, this is what the Bible says. I'm going to stay here no matter what. I'm going to ask Jesus to help me love them and I'm going to stay there until I love them because here's what happens. If you stay and if you ask God to help you love them, it will happen. It will happen. So you're going to stay. And so what you're striving after, and some people are easy to love. Some people are just easy to love. You want to have a a deep down passion to be affectionately desirous of them. You want them to be dear to you. That's how you stay here whenever church is over. That's how you get here early. That's how when people in your community group are having hard times battling cancer and you have to stay up till 2 a.m. with them. That's how when their kids are, are rebelling, you're gonna come over and you're gonna pray with them through tears. Lord, please turn their heart back because you have a deep love. I want the glory of God to be put on display ultimately. And I have a deep love for you. That's how I'm going to be here. Last one. Verse eight. So if there's just one verse that anybody says, hey, um, what should I think about, about community group? Like community, biblical community. The best verse you can probably take them to is 1 Thessalonians 2.8. If you want to just summarize it in one verse, biblical community. Verses one through 12 is it, but verse eight's great because it says, because I love you so much, because I care for you so much because of what Jesus has done for me, here's what I want to do. I want to share for you the gospel, share with you the gospel, and I also want to share with you my own self. So that particular verse helps to see what's biblical community. Biblical community is where I come alongside y'all and I share the gospel with you and I share my very self. That word self in, in, in the ESV in the Greek is actually your soul. So I'm willing to come and share with you the very breath, vital force of life that animates my body that the Lord put in me, that gives me spiritual life. I'm willing to share with you the gospel in my entire self, my entire soul. So what that means if you're willing to share your soul with someone is this. It's the sixth trait of community. You're willing to be vulnerable and share your soul with your community. You're willing to be vulnerable. There's, there's no facade. You don't have to play a game. You don't have to be somebody you're not. As a matter of fact, you're doing it all You're not doing it right if you're doing that. The whole point of biblical community is that you come in there, warts and all, and you say, this is, this is who I am. I know that comes through trust. This is who I am, and I love y'all, and I care for y'all. This is who I am. I want y'all to help me because sanctification has always been something that we're supposed to do in community. And you know what they do? Trait five, they love you anyway. I mean, what else is there that you have to be scared of? You go into a community, and you say, this is who I am. And they say, no big deal. Love you anyway. We're going to help you with that. You got nowhere else to go. You're like, well, this is awesome. This is where I'm supposed to be. That's what biblical community is. Despite those warts, we love you anyway. We want you here. We want to give. We want to serve. We want to care for you. Same thing in the church. You're willing to be vulnerable. You're willing to give your soul. Same thing church-wide. Piper says this, where the gospel is flourishing, where there's just a, an enormous group of people that get the idea as it says in verse four that we've been approved 
When that gospel is a flourishing and people are so enamored with Jesus and overcome with joy of what he's done for them, when that gospel is flourishing, that's where people share their souls. That's where people share their souls. And that looks like they share their joys. They share their guilts. They share their fears. They share their longings. They share their passions. That's what we want in biblical community. Deep, meaningful, real, not fake relationships. The heart of biblical community. The heart of Christianity. Here's the interesting thing. I told you about Paul. (laughs) This is amazing. Frontier missionary. Go to one place, set it up, get the pastors, get the church set up. All right, go to the next place. I'll be back, probably write a letter. Most commentators say this. Um, Paul probably spent with the Thessalonians a few weeks. The Holy Spirit was gracious when he went there. He writes these words. Notice these words. He he talks about his love for them in a familial kind of context. He, He says... In verse 7, I was gentle among you like a nursing mother, but also, verses 11 and 12, I was also like a father where I exhorted you, I encouraged you, and I charged you. So certainly mothers can exhort, encourage, and challenge, and certainly dads can be nurturing. But he's saying, the way my love, in just a short amount of weeks, I was so affectionately desirous that you become dear to me, the way it manifested itself out is in the soft and and tough, the, the tough and tender kind of thing where I was like a mom that nurtures you and loves you and cares for you and there for you. And also like a dad where I say, you're not going to stay here. You're going to grow. And I'm going to, I'm going to exhort you. I'm going to encourage you and charge you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Just a matter of weeks, Paul earned this kind of right to be in their lives that kind of love was made manifest to them and they received it. And it says, as we saw in one five, that they knew that they were who they are in a matter of weeks. This is God's economy. That's how God works in weeks that can happen. I would submit to you, it can happen in one week. We've seen it at Remedy in one week. Somebody came on Sunday, they went out to lunch with somebody, they went to a community group, they did a church-wide project on Saturday. And I think they were joining the church by like the next Sunday. <laughs> in one week, they were completely immersed in in the community. Didn't leave. It can happen in a week. That's God's economy. That doesn't happen in the real world. This is the real world too. So I would say this. With everything inside of you, be willing to submit yourself to biblical community and just sit back and be amazed at what God can do. What's your next step? If you believe what I'm saying is true and you're not in community, just what's your next step? Join a group. Come talk to me on how to get into a group. Get here early on Sundays and talk to a few more people. What, what's your next step to keep going on in community? If you are in a community and you're in a group and you're here every Sunday, etc., here's your question. What more can you do to give? Maybe you're maxed out. Is there more that you can do to give? But if you're maxed out, who do you know that needs to get in here? Who do you know that needs to get into biblical community? Remedy Church, another church, you know, I'm fine with that. As long as they love Jesus and the gospel, any church. (laughs) Who do you know that needs to be in biblical community? And here's the last group. For some of you, all of this I've been talking about, it just sounds like a fairy tale that you could never believe could actually happen because you're not in Christ. You need to be, as it says in verse four, approved by God. Trust in Christ today. Be forgiven of all your sin. Believe that all the wrath that you deserve for your sin was put on Jesus. And now all you get, as Martin Luther calls it, the great exchange, is all his righteousness, all his perfection, all his pureness, all his holiness. And one day, you'll be with Jesus in heaven forever. Become a believer in Jesus today. However the Holy Spirit's leading, be obedient. I'll be in the back. If you want to talk about community, come talk to me. If you just want to stand and sing, worship, if you want to be a believer in Jesus, come talk to me. I'd love to tell you about how you can do that. Let's pray.
Jesus, be with, me now as we, be with us now as we worship. I pray for all here whose hearts are being stirred by the Spirit, being prodded to take that next step, whether it's inviting someone into biblical community, themselves taking that first step into biblical community, or someone to take that first step as a believer in Jesus. Lord, that they would be obedient. God, I pray for us as Remedy. We want to be known for having biblical community. I pray that this isn't just something that we talk about. We do have, Lord, by your grace, we do have it. And I pray that you would, by your grace, grow us. And that everybody here would be deeply immersed in biblical community. Only that can happen because of you. And we pray that this isn't just something we say that we want to have, but by your grace that we do. We love you. Praise in Jesus' name.